As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. Hello and welcome everybody to The View from the Lane, the Tottenham Hotspur podcast from The Athletic. I'm Danny Kelly, I'm joined today by The Athletic's Charlie Eccleshare and James Moore. If there's an extra spring in my voice, it's because Spurs actually managed to play some football this weekend. They've also managed to not play some football, get thrown out of the tournament, we'll come on to that in a second. The game, the game they played, of course, was the was best Premier League game so far this season was against Liverpool. We'll be talking about it shortly. But first, Charlie, as we came on air here a few hours ago, if you're listening to this, Spurs have gone out of the European Conference. Been rocked by news this morning. Yeah, I mean, we've been over this many times since August. I've been saying get out of this competition. And uh, I think it's really, really good news, even more so now that Conte's in charge and top four looks possible. They've got this amazing training ground, training ground manager, uh, they've got the extra time. They don't have to play these assignments that have just seemed to be one humiliation after the next. I know, Danny, you'll be gutted to be out as a big Euro- Europa Conference League man. but um... the, Well, I may be, <laughs> judging by my timeline on Twitter, I'm the only Spurs fan who's even remotely disappointed. And of course, I'm completely furious with UEFA. I'm not quite sure why yet. I haven't formulated <laughs> I am absolutely apoplectic <laughs> and volcanic about UEFA. And I'm not sure yet. I've worked out not quite why I'm so angry with them. I think it's because these laws that they've uh, brought Spurs low with uh, apply, I think, to things like pretend you've got the common cold. Um, they're pre-COVID regulations, mm. um, which have been certainly used. pre-Omicron. Absolutely. But look, I don't want to admit that you're right, Charlie, because that would be against the spirit of this podcast. All right, put it this way: if they had to be thrown out of one competition. And that's probably the one. That's uh, not that you feel stronger than that. Don't try and hide behind yeah. that. I mean, Spur, even Spurs' statement was brilliantly, oh, you got us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. we're out. Like, we're, we'll have to take this one on the chin. Yeah, so, exactly. But if so, if so, why did Conte say at the press conference, we want a chance to, to, to progress in the, in the conference? Well, they have to be seen to be doing everything they can to be in it, don't they? You know, otherwise there's there are potential issues with UEFA. I mean, I... I don't imagine Conte is today absolutely raging about the fact they're not in the Europa Conference League. I think he'll certainly see that there are side benefits to it. And um, yeah, so long. And as I said in the piece today, hopefully we'll never, ever see this competition again. I mean, that, that would be that would be good news, wouldn't it? it well, well yes. what, finishing 14th, you mean? <laughs> well, <laughs> I'd, I'd rather have finished 8th and 7th. Although, and I've, I know this is harsh, but the Europa Conference League did get Nuno sacked. That is its one, the one thing it's achieved. That is harsh, but it's also true. I think without that, he might still be in a job and there wouldn't be Conte and Spurs would be limping along to 6th or something. I'm not sure about that. I, I think if they'd been doing well in that competition, I mean, I don't think it was losing to Willem, uh, whoever it was. It wasn't Willem. Willem, Willem Corson. But, Vitesse, <laughs> but losing to Vitesse Arnhem wasn't the reason he got sacked. No, but that, that whole... Gubbed 3-0 by Manchester United. Yeah, but that whole ruining the squad with 
uh, you know, leaving Splitting everyone them up. behind. Yeah, that, yeah, was that, weird. Did, that did cause a big rift. And, yeah. and you know, his his results weren't that bad. And also, had he not had Europe, his results might have been ever so slightly better uh, in the Premier League, which would have made it harder to sack him, less justifiable. Because at that point, they don't. They were probably they're what a one win away from being right on the tails of the top four, and you couldn't really sack him then. I mean, look, ultimately, Spurs have been left with the moral victory, which we all know is the sweetest victory of all. The real quiz. And now that I'm drilling down into why I am so furious about it, I suspect also this was their very first chance, uh, UEFA, to have a go at one of the teams that was um, lined up for the Super League. And the 3-0 defeat is what they were allowed to do by... Uh, protocol J or whatever the obscure rule is that they were involved with. Um, in, in their minds, they wanted to be 7-0. And we should make a point as well before the uh, banter merchants do. Yes, that is another game in which Harry Kane has failed to score. <laughs> James, I'll need to last word on this with you. You bothered? Remotely bothered? Or not bothered at all? No, I think this is perfect. I think it's utterly perfect. <laughs> we talked about this competition before. And obviously, the only, from my perspective, the only reason I wanted Spurs to win... The competition would be, because, would be because it would be so humiliating not to. And Charlie has consistently said that people would actually still have taken the piss out of Spurs if they had won the tournament, which I think is true. So to go out and, like I say, to have, to have the moral victory, to be able to say, you know, we were robbed by this ludicrous decision <laughs> by UEFA, which, by the way, I think it is. Mm. I think it's crazy it is, that they've, they've ultimately been kicked out of the competition because a handful of players and coaches have had COVID and haven't, they've had to close their training ground. It's, it's utterly insane. And if this had been the Champions League or maybe even the Europa League, you know, you can imagine the extent to which Spurs would have pushed back. But as it is, I suspect they're quite happy to take that slap on the wrist. My learned friends would have been involved pretty swiftly. If, yeah, if they had I would say so. Um, and I think I think it's actually pretty incredible that that's happened when you think about it like that. But yeah, I, I agree with Charlie. I think ultimately it's going to be the best thing for Spurs this season. I'm not convinced they were going to be loads of three midweeks in the second half of the season, given the number of Premier League games they're now going to have to... No, we'll still be playing the Hackney Marsh doubleheaders. You're absolutely right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, it probably does stop them playing four games in a day. <laughs> I mean, I was, I was saying to James last week, they've already got three games to fill it, to squeeze in the second half of last season. They actually only played four European games in the second half of last season because of when they went out. So they're kind of, assuming they, get, they continue to do well uh, or continue to progress in the League Cup and do a bit better in the FA Cup, they may well end up playing more matches than they did last season, even with... Um, going out of this competition so there definitely definitely wasn't scope to still be in it but also yeah I mean it's ridiculous when this playoff round isn't played until basically two months from now this idea that but it has to be played before December 31st is utterly ludicrous but whatever we don't care they're out well and they've done the draw it's not like they're holding up the draw by yeah yeah exactly yeah. they've done the draw we know who they would have played if they'd gone through and I don't really see that that anyone well, maybe wrong I don't think anyone from Vienna was kicking up about that also, from a just from a utilitarian point of view, I imagine the Vitesse fans are really pleased. So, you know, for the greater good, it's definitely the right decision. They they actually wanted to be in this competition. I just uh, and my last word is just that UEFA have now made a precedent that may very very handily come back to bite them on the backside somewhere further down the line. Okay, so I can get no no support at all for my slight tears as well as going out of Europe. <laughs> um, maybe it's an age thing. Maybe I've only got another 20 European campaigns in me. Who knows? Whereas yeah, for you, you, you grew up with the Europa Conference League. You have those, <laughs> those heady days at White Hart Lane. Whereas for you, European competition stretches out to the far horizon. Unimaginable <laughs> that it might ever end. Let's talk about, I mean, one of the reasons why I'm so uh, feisty this morning and so there is, a, I can he- hear it in my own voice, the excitement is that um, some of you witnessed, and I saw on television, a great game of football involving Tottenham Hotspur. The game against Liverpool, I'll sling in my Tottenham hate me worth, Spurs should have won. They they should also, could easily have lost. And it was a great game. Um, And more importantly, first time maybe in a couple of years, since the very first games under Mourinho, the first time I actually thought, wow, I'm watching a coherent football team here who... And of course, that's the wrong word to use because the game was fabulously chaotic, wasn't it? Mm. But this is a, a football team that's going out to try and do something rather than sit there and passively wait for something to happen, positive or negative, to them. Um, how much did you enjoy it, James? Yeah, I I really enjoyed it. Like you say, it felt like it felt like that might be a game that we look back on in a couple of years' time and say that. that I mean, look, we're obviously we're getting ahead of ourselves a little bit, but that might be. It feels like the kind of game where you look back at it and say that was the start of the Conte era properly. 
It was such a change of pace. I mean, in a literal sense, but also in terms of the approach to the game, it was so it was so good to see a Tottenham team just try and win a football match without it being entirely on the back foot. And you know, considering they're playing Liverpool, look, we know they had players missing, and obviously they had ten men for the last fifteen minutes or whatever. But regardless of that, I still think it's it speaks a lot for a change in mentality that, that I think has come incredibly quickly. That, that they were so determined to win that game, and you're right, I agree with you that they should have won the game on the basis of the chances. And you know, we can go on about XG if you want. So Tottenham had the better chances in the game, and yeah. of the two teams, I think they would be the team that would have left that pitch feeling that they had spurned the opportunity. Yeah, that's the thing you have to kind of choke back. We all know that anybody can win or lose a game of football. It is chaotic. And those of us who spend our time analysing like scientists, we all know deep down that we are charlatans because it's pure chaos. And the disappointment of not winning the game needs to take a back seat to the, to the, to, to the performance. Um, and if Robertson had scored in the first minute with a header, we'd probably got beat 3-0. But he didn't and they didn't. I mean, obviously, you say that Liverpool had some players missing, but Charlie, the first and, and, and interesting thing about it was, and we'll come on to the individuals, the lineup. I saw the TV companies doing their best to make it a kind of 4 3 3, 5 2 3. It was always going to be, once I saw it, three in midfield because you can't you can't have uh, Tange and Domble or Deli Alley in a two. Neither of them will work. And he's not stupid. Un- unlike some previous Spurs managers who thought they, were, they knew better. One thing about Conte so far that he's proven is he's not thick. And only a thick person would attempt to play in Dombele as part of a two because it's just going to get passed around. So, and I was happy to see, call it five if you want, three two or three five two, whichever way it worked out. Yeah, I mean, Liverpool were missing players, but that whole five in that three five two were all brought in from the last game. So they they were all, that was all changed for Spurs as well. Yeah. It was so encouraging. And, and yeah, I, I made the point like James that it did feel like the start of something and almost not at the same level but that 5-3 2015 New Year's Day win against Chelsea where you're like wow this team is going somewhere they're finding an identity it had it had a bit of that feeling and something we've talked about on this podcast so many times is uh you know fringe players and this ties into the Europa Conference League they get a chance and they blow it and it has to be oh Harry can you come on and score for us again because we're struggling and I know Kane and Son scored the goals yesterday, but there were some really, really good performances from players who have had a tough time. I mean, Winks and Delhi, you know, foremost among them. Those, those, those are guys who, you know, we've talked about so much how they've struggled over the last couple of years. And, you know, in some of those Europa Conference League games, like that Vitesse game, the one where Winks afterwards spoke to us and was just visibly shaken. He was brilliant yesterday. Best performance I can remember him from from him for ages, but arguably man of the match. Delhi did really, really well, put in a proper shift. He did a bit of that hatchet man thing um, as well that we talked about earlier on in the season. I thought, you know, I think Delhi's a player who is often lucky not to get booked. And Dombele was good before he came off, maybe not quite at their level, but he created the first goal with a brilliant pass. And Sessignon as well, a player who's often looked unsure of what his position is, maybe a bit short of confidence. He was really, really good yesterday. You know, when Salah is doing that little, yeah, then that your left wing back has to be doing a pretty good job. And I thought that battle between him and Trent was a really interesting one. So lots to enjoy, and and it's just so clear. I mean, I I felt even if Spurs had lost the game, which you know it looked like they might do when they went two one down, I still think the fans and, and James can speak more to this would have felt like, well, we've given it a proper go and we've played well and we can see a direction of travel. And and it's been a long time. A long time since they've had that. Yeah, that, that's definitely true. I mean, an hour into that game, I was thinking, and at that point, it would have been 1-1, I guess. Mm. I was thinking, feels like with everything that's happened over the previous two weeks, you know, their play, their players have obviously not trained in the way that they normally would do or prepared for the game in the way that they normally would do. I did think we might kind of see the players tire in the last half hour of the game. So yeah, my, my mentality at that point was, well, this has been really encouraging and if they lose from here, you know, it'll be a shame, but so be it. But I, I mean, actually... They were, I think they're probably, if you looked at the balance of it in the last half an hour, that's probably the part of the game where they were at their best, maybe, in terms of like controlling yeah. the game. I mean, obviously, like we said before, you know, that Liverpool only had 10 men for half of that chunk. But yeah, it was, it was really encouraging. I mean, you mentioned Salad there, Charlie. Mm. I mean, I can't think of too many times I've watched that guy play since he's come to Liverpool and he hasn't like had, had the fullback on toast or absolutely destroyed mm. the centre-back or scored an amazing goal. You know, they kept, they kept him so quiet. I mean, the, I mean, the only thing he really did was that little punch down to uh, 
Trent Alexander Arnold for the for the second Liverpool goal, right? I mean, I can't, he didn't really have too many other telling. Did he have a shot? I can't really think, think he so. had. I even had a shot. I mean, it's really strange to see to see you know him marginalised in a game like that. And I, you know, maybe if you listen to our Liverpool podcast, maybe they'd be saying, well, it wasn't just down to Sessegnon there was a tactical thing, or he just didn't have a good game, or whatever. But or he was I, knackered. Or yeah, yeah, whatever. But I, you know, I don't think you can. I don't think we can afford to kind of quibble too much with regards to things like that. You know, we've seen Spurs play against Liverpool in the last three, four, five years and really struggle with Salah and Mane. Well, they'd lost their previous seven to Liverpool, which yeah. I was looking at before. That surprised me because that, that felt for a while in you know in the kind of early Poch-Klopp period like a really good battle between two evenly matched teams. You think that like 2-2 draw at Anfield, the Wanyama one, that was actually the last, the previous time when Spurs had not lost. So th- they'd been on a really bad run against them. And I think as well, like, on, on the tactical point, it's easy to think... Oh, they they had a go in inverted commas, which suggests a kind of we don't really know what we're doing, but we're just going to go up and at them. It was nothing like that. It was such a clear plan to draw the centre backs onto them and then hit that space in behind. They did that again and again and again. And I mean, I have to say, I thought I thought Liverpool were naive. They they played as if Van Dijk was there. It was like they'd forgotten he wasn't playing because yeah. you can afford to play like that if Van Dijk's there, but when he's not, you you can't hold that high line against Son. It was like that suicidal Southampton one last year. It, it did think that was strange that having kind of been exposed by that like like three times in the first half, they didn't change that in the second yeah. half, and we saw it again a few times in the second half. Did yeah, I did think that was incredibly weird that that that. You know, if they had addressed that problem, probably would have won the game. I just think the way they... It's so its so integral to how they play. You know, they they push you so... They play so high up the pitch, which makes it so difficult. But there is... I mean, that that's the thing with Liverpool. You basically have two way... Two, two types of teams can hurt them. One, if they can pass their way out of the press. And another, a team like Burnley, who go direct. And obviously Spurs didn't do a Burnley, but they were pretty direct, but really effective with it because they just saw those spaces were there and they were just clipping balls in. And Son was getting on every time. And, and the goal, Son's equaliser, of course, it's a bad error from Alisson. But it felt like the, the sort of accumulation of lots of those, t- you know, they, they kept putting him under pressure, kept asking him to come out and sweep. I mean, two things. One, you're right to say Spurs had more control in that last third, possibly because they had a numerical superiority for the last 15 minutes. But actually, they made their better chances when they didn't have so much control. Yeah, that's true. And yeah. they are... Well, for that reason, I guess. And, and, and it's because, and we know this from the good moments under Mourinho, when Son and Kane are on it, they are a great breakaway duo. And I understand the club put up, who's your man of the match? And I think there was Deli Ali and Harry Winks and Ryan Sessegnon and Eric Dyer. The man of the match was Son. But we, his, his level is so high that our expectations are so great of him mm. that he doesn't get, to, you know, you know, he's just another. He was absolutely fantastic. And the punting of the ball forward is based on the fact that he is going to outrun virtually anybody in the Premier League. And given that he had an indifferent spell six weeks ago, a month ago, um, it was great to see him doing what he does so very well. I mean, he, Spurs had so many, well, they had half a dozen decent chances they didn't take. But as I say, I don't mind a bit of chaos in these games because if Kane and Son are, are, are doing it, then Spurs will find a way to, to make chances. Yeah, there was that one which, James, I, I thought was so reminiscent of Son's goal in that 2017-4-1 game where Kane's yeah, running forward yeah. and squares it. So similar. And obviously this time he just, Son's stretching a bit and can't, he can't just finish like just he before. did. In that yeah. one at Wembley, he hit it right on the bounce, didn't he? But this yeah, one bounced yeah, yeah. just before. But the, the way they're run, the angles of the running and, and the type of pass Kane plays was so similar. And we hadn't seen that much. I mean, that was a thing we saw quite a lot of last season and obviously in games like that Liverpool you know years before mm-hmm. but I don't think we've seen that much of that this season at all like Spurs no, attacking no. with numbers like that on the count they just haven't been able to make that work and obviously Delhi got involved in the one five minutes after that as well I actually did think I mean I, I, I don't well I, I suspect neither of you will have heard Martin Tyler's commentary on this game but I know quite a few of the listeners would have done it's really weird commentary from Tyler and uh, Gary Neville kind of suggesting that Delhi Ali had done quite badly with that shot I mean, he's put it right in the... I mean, I'm not saying it's unsavable. And at halftime, I think Defoe was saying he could have you put could it the other way. You could say he should have scored, but you have to give some credit to the goalkeeper. It's, yeah, it's a, a really good save. save. yeah. And he basically just picks aside the keeper as well, doesn't he? It's one of those where yeah. If, yeah. If, if the keeper takes a step the other way, he wrong foots him and it looks like an amazing finish. Kane had just as good a chances and didn't quite take them. Although I thought he was, he was engaged in a way that perhaps he hasn't been for a little while with Spurs. Yeah. And, you know, which takes us on now to the refereeing of the game. I mean, it was an absolute showcase 
for the shit show that refereeing is in this country. Um, <laughs> when 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 they do twenty refereeing disasters, the Mike Riley years um, in the cinemas, I'm going to see it IMAX. Actually, you know, it'd be, this would be one of the games. I, I don't think it was quite as one sided as Liverpool fans are suggesting. But first of all, let's discuss the obvious one: the England captain. He should have got, he's got to go, hasn't he? Yeah, it's a red card. What, I, I what's don't an, know uh, what's who's... Uh, hang orange. on. Orange. Orange. <laughs> God, explain then, uh, Dominic Raab. Explain. <laughs> d- d- defend that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, no, no. I mean, it's, it's an incredibly bad. It's an incredibly bad challenge, uh, and it's a stupid challenge to make in the first half of the game. You know, in the attacking third of the pitch, when your team has got all the momentum. I get it. You know, he's just got a goal. He's fired up. He's thinking, right here, you go. My season's finally up and running, and I, I want to score again. I want to. I want to win the game for my team. Fine, I get it. But that is the kind of unnecessary, stupid challenge that previously actually he's injured himself. Yes, making yep. the one against Man City in the Champions League. If you remember on Delph, I think it was. Mm. Yeah, goes herring after a ball. He really doesn't need to go after. Gets into a challenge and injured himself, and then misses the rest of the season up to the final and but whatever the whatever final. about it it is not the action of a man who doesn't care about this football match or this no. football team and that, that no. was good I suppose if you wanted to put a positive scene on it it would That'd be, be it. that that's it what yeah. I would say about those two challenges I mean if you are comparing them and obviously there has been a lot of this done particularly by Jurgen Klopp to me changes are like a more honest Attempts to go for the ball. A complete, a misguided one and a bad Keynes one. Keynes was an accident that could have really injured his opponent, and Robertson's was a deliberate Sunday morning boot up in the air. He knew he had like a five percent chance of getting the ball there, and he wasn't that fussed if he didn't. Yeah, Surely. I mean, also as as James and I both pointed out, he could easily have been sent off in this game in January 2020 for a pretty nasty tackle on Tanganga. I mean, the thing that I find mind-boggling that we reported on the Athletic this morning was that. The justification for why Kane not only wasn't sent off, but why he didn't go to the monitor was because Robertson jumped up in the air and therefore avoided making it a leg-breaking tackle. So had he just left his foot and broken his leg, yeah. Kane would have got sent off. So that's what players should be it doing. It was ludicrous. It? it was ludicrous. It's not Robertson's responsibility ludicrous. to get out of the way of that tackle, is it? But I'm glad he did for his own sake. Well, exactly. But what's so what's so maddening about this whole thing is that VAR has so many downsides principally among them it means we can't celebrate goals anymore mm-hmm. we, ge- we genuinely can't and, and that's taken away the, the single best thing in football and people will say I'm being hysterical well watch the goal that Milan scored yesterday even in real time you're not thinking that goal's been getting disallowed even on TV let alone in the crowd there is nothing there is no way you're going to pick up on that so basically you have to be paranoid every goal that was a anyway, terrible gonna, decision by the terrible. way terrible yeah. but if they're going to strip away that at least then get decisions right at least but that's be its some only upside. justification then it's, it's, it, we are getting this stuff right yeah if you can't even do that just get rid I mean I think get rid of it anyway I don't think anything justifies taking away something that great and fundamental to football but if you're also then just not getting decisions right and being so arbitrary and inconsistent that you know with that Robertson one they're like oh okay so he hasn't broken his leg so therefore it's not even worth looking at the monitor I I, I genuinely don't know anyone else who would possibly have decided that Alan Shearer's response on Match of the Day when he asked it was a special treat for England captains yes, told the yes. whole thing. He was, well, yeah. yeah, of course there is, yeah. And not just captains. We used to see it with John Terry oh. even before he was captain. I remember him and Carragher basically just didn't get bookings because they were kind of respected uh, English pros. Yeah. There's, a lot, there's a lot of that uh, that goes around. So, yeah, so and, and, and of course, from a purely Spurs-biased point of view, navy blue sunglasses and all that, the fact that he did get booked for it came means they can't review it. Otherwise, he'd be out for three games, <laughs> wouldn't he? What about, uh, I mean, the VAR, if the Salah handball had been given, um, I'd have been delighted. But I also realised that in, a, in 99% of other cases, I'd have been horrified. That's, that's kind of what makes it annoying, isn't it? You've seen so many goals chalked off for stupid things like that. And then you see it in a game against your team and it it doesn't happen. It's not... It's not deemed consequential. It's a pr- previous previous phase of play. Somehow. It's a last season it would uh, have been given. This season yeah, is very, yeah. yeah, distinctly said yeah. they wouldn't give those. And I think that's right, personally. I do. Yeah. Yeah, no, I agree with that. But I'd be amazed if at some point in the next two months you don't see one incredibly similar that goes It'll be Deli Alley. I think that's, as, that'd be the way it yeah, as well for Spurs fans, there's that wound still of that dire penalty against Newcastle, which still is like yeah. the most ludicrous thing. But, but with all of this as well, clearly there is an issue with you know officials it's just exposed what VAR has done is basically exposed how bad a lot of officials are because it's basically paused time stripped it down and been like okay we're really going to get to see your decision making and hold on a second even with slow-mo replays and everything you're still making these dreadful decisions so it's kind of highlighted that issue and and it's a really really hard job and I don't think they need any more scrutiny and that's all that VAR does 
get rid, basically. Yeah. Uh, are we talking about the two penalties Spurs could have had? Do, what, do we think either of those? Uh, I thought I thought the push on Winks was a penalty. Yeah. So, yeah. 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 Mm. I mean, uh, again, I mean, it's it's a VAR penalty, isn't it? It's yeah. not. You yeah. know, if, if you're watching a match as a neutral and you see that, you think, ah, probably not. But you you know. You have seen four or five of those given. But equally, season. and in order that to the thousands of Liverpool fans who listen to this podcast, <laughs> I mean, the push by Emerson was rash, shall we say, at the yeah, very least. Yeah. He's, also, he's also on a booking at that point. Yeah. So that could have been a penalty. Anime. I mean, let's be fair. If Serge Aria did that, people would be calling for him to be deported, wouldn't they? <laughs> um, but it was pretty It was pretty bad. Let's we'll have a quick break and we come back then to some of these individual performances, particularly of players who hadn't previously got anywhere near the team sheet. And could it be that uh, because of that, COVID will have had some benefit to Spurs' long-term prospects in the season? We'll talk about that next here on The View from the Lane. This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the team's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. All new Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. The view from the lane, you know that. Danny Kelly, me, you know that. Charlie Eccleshare and James Moore, you know them as well. Thank you for being with us. Let's talk about some of these individual performances. You've hinted at some of the things we thought. I mean, obviously, the most, the oddest selection, and we we don't know still which players had. COVID, which players are recovering from it, although we can guess now because of uh, some of those selections. Deli Alley, who was uh, using up even the very last ticket stub in his season ticket for the last chance saloon. I mean, an interesting performance to, to try and analyse, James, because he ran around like, like a mad thing, which is important, and but I expect it of Spurs players. Had a great chance. Well, overall, what did you make of Delhi? And, and, and will this change their attitude to sending him out on loan or flogging him in January. Yeah, I mean, that'd be interesting to see. I mean, I guess it, it might, it should move the dial a little bit. I mean, I, I, you know, if they were desperate to get rid of him before, maybe they're just willing to get rid of him now. I mean, I think the thing that could change his situation the most actually that's happened in the last 24 hours is going out of that competition and suddenly there being five, six, seven, eight fewer games in the second half of the season because they're not in the conference league. I mean, I'm not, I'm not sure Conte is necessarily the kind of person to completely change his opinion on a player on the basis of one game. But if he was, I would say that was the kind of performance that, that, that would do that. I mean, I was really impressed. You know, and it is a shame that probably the headline moment for him was that chance spurned, saved by Alisson in the first half. Didn't really think he did brilliantly with that one in the second half where he went through. And that's kind of arguably worse. Scuffed that square past the cane just under hit it slightly. Where maybe in years gone by, you imagine he probably would have gone on himself. Wouldn't he? I think he probably would have tried to like open his body up and have a shot himself. I, I suspect. But overall, I mean, what firstly, I mean, I know this this, this is probably uh, a, a, bit, a bit of a cliche, or, or or maybe being a bit generous. But I think the fact he was getting into those positions, well, I just don't think he was before. He wasn't making those runs in behind before. I don't think two or three months ago, or, or, or even two or three weeks ago, maybe, he's making that run that he makes to get that shot in the first half. I just don't think he's going to... He surges forward in that way. But that's also... I mean, I think that's massively important, what James says, that he's getting chances. That's I think that's really encouraging. You know, that that's such a big part of his game, is making those runs that are hard to track. It's not easy getting chances. You know, people underestimate how much of a skill that is. You know, there are a lot of players who... They're elite skill basically is getting lots of chances which means they can also miss a bunch because most yep. most players even the best do Cavani is someone like that but yeah I mean it, it's an interesting one because you'd like to think you know as fans we kind of we want long-term thinking from our coaches and directors of football and whatever so on one hand you'd think Conte and his staff would be well aware that Delhi is capable of these performances when, when they decided as we reported last week, that he was available to go out on loan, you'd hope and think that they'd know that they are he's they are making that decision with full knowledge that he can still produce performances like this. So whether doing it completely shifts the dial and makes them think, hold on a minute, we should keep him now, no. will be interesting. What what it may you know, but it's win win because either he does enough to get back into Conte's plans or he adds a few zeros on the 
loan fee or whatever or the transfer fee as and when they try and sell him so it's it's only upsides if he can keep doing this and, and give Spurs another decision to make when it looked like that decision was was pretty much set in stone even at his absolute best um Delhi was always semi-detached from what the rest of the team were doing his best performance mm. are the ones where he suddenly looks like he's part of the team he looked like he's part of the team yesterday because the whole team uh, part of the team Harry Winks is a, an enigma, isn't he? I liked him when he first got into the Spurs team. Then I didn't join in the criticism, but it's clear that he had changed the way he played, under, particularly under Mourinho and then not under Nuno because he wasn't getting in the team. Um, and a, a, a player who has good positional sense and can pass a football. I decided that the best plan for him was to pass it sideways or backwards. Not a revelation yesterday. That wouldn't be the right. That wouldn't be the right word, Charlie. But a completely different kind of performance from him. Quite apart from the tackle that led to mm, one of Spurs' mm. goals, um, which was great tackle. Yeah. It's his through ball that sets up Son's goal. Lots of good passing, wasn't there? And that's a good example of it. Yeah, he played a lot of them, and he has done. He's done a lot more of that in recent weeks. And he does. You know, he always he he played often as an eight when he was coming through the Spurs academy. And then has kind of moved further backwards. And he, and even when he played deeper, he used to be more of a progressive passer. But then, as you say, he did become a bit more safe with his distribu- distribution. And you never know if that's coming from him or, you know, the instructions from the manager. Really encouraging to see him playing in that way. Snapping into tackles, constantly getting on the ball, trying to make things happen. You know, if there are games where Conte wants to stiffen up the midfield, play with three centre mids and then just Kane and Son up front then he's definitely shown that he can do that. He's more than good enough. And, you know, and or if Hoybier or Skip are out of form, out of favour, unavailable. Or are too similar. Or are too similar, yeah. Then he's a real option now. So he's he's given Conte something to think about. Hang on, but Newcastle are going to have no players in January at this rate. <laughs> what, what, what's Amanda Stavely going to do if Spurs' reserve players started playing well? And equally, what's Levy going to do to get some kind of treasure trove? No. What do they call it? War chest. War chest. Yeah, yeah. War chest. <laughs> Before the game, it did feel like a sort of everyone. I mean, every fringe player, every club has been auditioning for Newcastle. Yeah. Uh, but, but by playing so well, they kind of got out of their league. I did think that, like, thinking back to when James Horncastle was on the podcast in the first week that Conte had taken over, and he talked about how important it was for someone to play in that role in midfield, dropping off to take the ball for centre backs. And Skip and Hoiberg kind of can both do that but it's not it's not like a massive strength for either of them really no they're more don't barrier players look, aren't they don't necessarily look entirely comfortable doing that not to say either of them are bad on the ball I think they're both reasonably good on the ball but but Winks I think is, it's far more comfortable dropping off and doing that I feel like that could probably be the, the the thing that gives them an edge over those other two as you say Danny those two, those two Skip and Hoiberg even when, we, even when Spurs have played well and got good results we have kind of felt that might be a thing that has to change at some point. Teams are about balance and sections of teams are about balance. And, you know, you don't mm. always have the exact right players to achieve the perfect balance. And Hoiberg and Skip have done very well this season. Um, but I, I, I always think that they are not a perfect pair, are they? What, what would you guys do just, just on that theme? It, 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 assuming all the COVID things now aren't a thing and everyone just comes back. Everyone's available fully fit, basically, for uh, Crystal Palace. On Boxing Day, who who of these guys do you think keeps their place? Well, that's who? a difficult question, isn't it? Because Lucas had been like the the, the key yeah. player under Conte in the first four games, five yeah. games, however many. And suddenly the system they played yesterday and obviously had, I don't know if you'd call that their best result because they didn't win, but it certainly felt like the, the most cohesive performance of the team. I, I don't see that he fits into that system unless you take Son out maybe and put him in, put him up front. If Which you never would. Obviously, you wouldn't do that. But I, I do think ultimately that system the, the Free in midfield probably suits Spurs slightly better. I think it makes them slightly more solid. And then, you know, you're still saying to Kane and Son, you be the front two, you go and do your thing. And if Reguilón or Sessegnon and Royale or whoever they find on the right can actually cross the ball are going forward as well, then you're still going to get opportunities. And if Dele is in midfield, I mean, who knows? Maybe he's going to end up becoming a goal scorer again. We'll have to wait and see. Uh, so I would probably lean more towards that and the players that played in this game. And I hope that's not just recency bias, but I think that probably... And it would be incredibly harsh on Lucas. No, this is a terribly difficult conversation to have because although the difference between three up front and two up front sounds really not, not a huge thing, it is a profoundly different way mm. of playing the game. Profoundly different. Because the three up front 
unless you're gifted, unless you specifically have Liverpool's players, the three up front really is one up front, isn't it? It's what the effect you're having on the centre backs. That's that's the difference. And yes, Liverpool played too far forward yesterday, but every team does just about, unless Jose Mourinho, who had a great result at the weekend, and so I've got to be a little bit less horrible to him um, this week. They had an amazing result, Rome, in a game that I expect Atalanta to walk away with. It's how you occupy the, those centre backs. And I think Kane and Son, it's so it's a knife edge, isn't it? Because Son does so well from the wide positions, but up front yesterday, they were just, they're so close to each other. They're making stuff happen. Mm-hmm. Um, personally speaking, I, 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 I'm all in favour of two up front coming back into fashion. I knew it would one day because, as I say, I see too many centre-backs in either a back four or a back three. So there's two or three centre-backs. They're, str- they're getting £100,000 a week to stroll through. They literally can do the Times <laughs> crossword at the back there. That's all they've got to do. Um, I mean, the old shop steward in me is saying, well done, lads. That is one cushy number you've organised there. <laughs> but coaches have to be reactive to that. Put some pressure on these guys. But you're right to say, James, if it's Lucas Moura who is the victim of any change in Spurs' system, that is completely undeserved. But then football, a bit like life, it's not about fairness, is it? Well, well he, could, he could be... He could. Sorry, this might be what you're about to say, Charlie. He could be the uh, Victor Moses role, right? He could, yeah. he could play as a right wing back. I mean, uh, but I'm not I sure his crossing is any more reliable than Emerson Royals. To be I honest, can't, it's surely well, it is. <laughs> no, Emerson Royale did his first ever low cross that wasn't just uh, cleared for either a throw or a corner. He did one yesterday that actually beat the defenders and created a chance for Kane. It was it was incredible. Everything went I, well yesterday. Yeah, exactly. It was, it was that kind of day. Well, two things. One was that you know playing with the two up top was initially the plan, and that was what Conte thought he was going to do, and I expect it is what he will do in the longer term. But obviously, Mora has played so well. The other thing as well is that, you know, Spurs, and this was something Mourinho actually used to talk about, was that if ever a player who was good or had been in good form then wasn't playing, it would be a massive deal. And Mourinho's point was always that, you know, clubs that Spurs want aspire to be finishing ahead of or competing with, Chelsea, City, Liverpool, whoever, that happens all the time. And so you kind of want to have a brutal world whereby if you do miss a game through injury or suspension or illness or whatever... If some someone can come in and take your place, and then that just should, in theory, raise your level, and then Mora, if it is him who has to make way, he'll then get a chance because Kane or Son will have an injury, or someone else will, and you kind of you want that. That's kind of good. I think we we sometimes feel you know we feel bad for players when they lose their place, but that's just kind of what should happen at a, at a big club. Yeah, well, we, we think we know that Conte wants to play three four three, but he doesn't necessarily have the right two in the centre of midfield to make that happen. Let's just talk, we talked briefly about it. Davis and Sessegnon somehow can uh, manage to keep Mo Salah quiet. I would say that the, the, the stratospheric level that Mo has been playing at and how brilliant he's been, you can't, that can't go on for week after week and it has gone on for week after week. Sooner or later, he's about to have one game where he's not quite as brilliant as he has been. But Sessegnon and Regulon is going to be an issue now, isn't it? Because mm. um, they're both very good athletes. They get up and down the line very, very well. I don't think either of them are natural defenders, but nor was Danny Rose when he started out, and they, that got trained into him. I know Sergio is very popular with Spurs fans because, he, of course, he was the, the best-looking player in some very poor Spurs teams under Mourinho and Nuno. But I hope that Cessnion can find at least you know a, a place in the squad because the, it clearly has talent and is athletically gifted as well. So, so it's good to see him have a proper game and not get himself sent off after 35 minutes. <laughs> but that's another really good battle to have. You know, you yeah. want that. You want to have two really good players. Because, you know, just by way of comparison, I was thinking about this. The second half of the season before last, when Rose went on loan, Spurs basically had Davis as a left back and then Vertonghen would sometimes fill in there. Tanganga would sometimes fill in there. Like, that's not really going to cut it. You want to have... Two, two very good fullbacks or wingbacks. You know, you think back to that great Pochettino team. Danny Rose missed the second half of 16-17 and Ben Davis came in and was brilliant. And on the other side, they could rotate between Walker and Trippier. So I think Sessegnon's, again, he's, he's just given Conte another decision to make. And that's that's really good. You want as many of them as possible. Yeah, and just a, another blow to Newcastle's hopes there, isn't it? Uh, it is. I'm sorry, I've, just, I've just noticed I think this is probably wrong. I'm literally Poor old Matt Ritchie playing left back. That <laughs> Dear God. Uh, has has um, Sessegnon played more games for Spurs under Conte than he has any other manager? 
I don't think more. Mourinho, he would have played. Yeah, but when he played some under Poch at the start, and then Mourinho comes. came in, and then he went out on loan. He barely played under Poch. He played. He played in that win at Belgrade, and then possibly Sheffield United. He would have come on as a sub. But Mourinho, he did play. He probably played about six or seven in all comps. I would say. Played in so Munich, yeah, Munich didn't he in that Champions League? He, yeah. he played Munich. He played Middlesbrough. He played a couple in that sort of January. He played even against Leipzig, I think, in the Champions League in the second leg. I think he started that game, actually. It's a really important time for Ryan because he's no longer a kid. And he's another one who you have to make it happen for yourself uh, to some extent. And, and, you know, we saw with Harry Kane yesterday that that kind of level of engagement, albeit he should have been watching the second half from uh, the stands, it makes a huge difference. I, I'll be watching Sessegnon um, with with great interest. I had high hopes for him. And he's mm. been, never to run the team, has he? That, that, let's be truthful about it. Ten games he played under Mourinho. He's played four under Conte. We were both listening to you, Dan, then, Danny, not counting how many games Seth's going to play. <laughs> oh, no, Mourinho. I'm very happy to fill in You with... could have literally said anything. Yeah. So that scene in Wayne's World too. Well, reference. If, if you know, you know. <laughs> Absolutely incredible scene with uh, Harry Shearer. Remind people, go on, I know what you're talking about. Go on. Oh, it's an amazing from an amazing film, Wayne's World yeah. 2, if anyone has or hasn't seen it. Anyway, Wayne and Garth go on to promo this big charity concert they're doing. Yeah. And the DJ, played very well by Harry Shearer, is is not really listening. He's just saying, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. And they sort of cotton on to this, and anyway, they just start saying whatever they want to say. Yeah. Uh, in, in a very, very funny way. Classic film. Coming up to... 30 years ago that it came out. I know. It's a, you don't do that with, with films. It makes me makes you feel that time, uh, someone's pressed the hyperspace button on my own life. Let's have a quick break and we'll come back to see Spurs. We've got another football match which they appear to be going to play. The regulations notwithstanding, and of course we're living in a world where things are changing all the time at the moment. Let's talk about uh, next that uh, quarterfinal of the League Cup against high-flying West Ham United. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Okay, so we all agree that was a very good performance by Spurs against Liverpool. In the middle of it, it was a mad game as well. You know, anything could happen. But they, they looked like a football team who were having a go. So I think we can look forward, James, to the game against West Ham in the League Cup with perhaps more optimism than would have been possible, say, six weeks ago. Yeah, yeah. Infinitely I mean, more optimism than would have been possible six weeks ago. Yeah, I mean, certainly when that draw was made, when uh, Nuno was still manager. It, it certainly looked quite ominous. And West Ham's form, I mean, you know, I know uh, you're kind of talking yourself into trouble when you say things like this, but West Ham's form over the last kind of three or four weeks has not been great. And you do wonder how much of a priority this game is going to be for them. I know that, you know, playing against Tottenham is a big deal for West Ham. I'm not taking a piss when I say that. It mm-hmm. just is. Uh, <laughs> Why not? No, take the piss out of them after we've been. Yeah. Oh, God, they're going to beat us now. I've said that. No! 
<laughs> what you say about the game will have absolutely no bearing on the oh, game. Oh, come on. I've tried this over these. I've tried mind-melding football matches to bend them to my will. It just doesn't happen. Reverse tempting fate. <laughs> a favourite of mine. We're going to concede. We're going to concede from this corner. Of course we're going to concede. To me, it feels like... I think these League Cup games just before Christmas, it feels like a really weird time for a big game. And I know, you know, last season it was Stoke away mm. behind closed doors, so it just didn't feel like a big game. Uh but yeah, we're playing West Ham at home in like a proper game, possibly with fans, who knows, we'll see. It just feels like a very odd time for a game like that for me, two days before Christmas, three days before Christmas. Uh, that, that, that's the thing that, that makes me slightly uneasy. Do you know what I mean? It just feels like a weird time for a big game. One of the great Christmas traditions, the Carabao Cup. Well, like, yeah, like, and like the Boxing Day game should always be some, you know, some inoffensive game against like Portsmouth or Southampton or Palace as it is this year or Fulham or whoever. Like you don't want a big game against a big rival just before Christmas. Mm. I could completely, it could completely ruin it. Uh, let me ask you, uh, Charlie, about Spurs' physical matchup with West Ham United because they've had a lot of praise for their football, West Ham, and it's right and it's, and it's properly deserved. One of the other things about them is they are, I'm just trying to think, maybe not even Burnley, they are the biggest team in the Premier League. Mm. They are the most physically imposing team. That's going to be Spurs' first job is to match them physically. Yeah, they are a real threat. I I do think, and I've been saying this for weeks, I felt that they would start to feel the heat of, you know, not that big a squad in Europe. I always felt Spurs would eventually, once Conte came in, would eventually finish above them. And I do still think that. And they've, they've really lost their momentum in the last few weeks. So this is a game I would expect Tottenham to win, especially as I think the players they can bring in when they rotate would be stronger. And I mean, West Ham have been missing like their entire defence pretty much. So it's a big ask for them. West Ham, I think, have made like the fewest changes in the Premier League this season, haven't they? They've relied on the same sort of 14 players over the course of the whole season. Yeah, and, and for them, can you imagine, you know, they're in the Europa League still. To play a two-legged semi-final of this competition in January with a squad that already is kind of yeah. injury hit, I don't think for them it would be the biggest disaster to go out. So I just don't think you think that. As, but I just don't think that's your mentality, is it? If you're, no. you know, it's a derby game. You don't you don't go into it thinking, well, it's fine if we lose. I mean, it, maybe it, no, but it might influence Moyes' selection. He might think, it, you know, I need, I just have to have a game where I can rest people. Maybe this is the game to do it. Yeah. Hello, I'm Adam Hurry, host of Football Clichés, a truly unique podcast brought to you by The Athletic. Twice a week, my guests and I tear apart the language of football, the words, the phrases, the mannerisms and the weird habits of everyone involved in the game. From the shoes that football pundits are legally required to wear, to the didn't play for Sam Allardyce's Bolton but really should have done 11, Football Clichés explores all the tiny things that you didn't realise you cared about, but believe me, you do. And we didn't talk about Jurgen Klopp's response to the game uh, against Liverpool. Now, let, let me first of all presage this by saying, I think he is a great football manager and I think he's a great man. The way he's talked about pandemic, vaccination, individual and collective responsibility suggests to me that this is a very, very high level sentient being. His response to defeating football matches suggests something very different. Yeah, I mean, I, I think he's done something amazing, and that's unite James and Jose Mourinho. What? Because they both, yeah, I know, never Yellow card. You'd see, you'd see the day, but th this is the, the power of Jurgen Klopp, because the, bo bo both James and Mourinho, I, I think, um, believe that his touchline antics leave a lot to be desired. I mean, I do think it's amazing that, uh, that people see him as this kind of jovial friendly guy and obviously like his, his politics are, are on point and uh, you know we should probably shouldn't get into that I don't know if we have listeners who will disagree with what he said about vaccines but like his, some of his like histrionics on a touchline are insane like cra crazy like the, the amount of aggression he like he gets in, ter in terms of his lot. body language and, and some of the stuff he says towards officials is, is, is crazy I mean, it's really, really like bad that he gets away with that. He does, he does and it's not uncommon. No, I, and I just think, I, I, you know, look, I, he can complain about there being one rule for Andy Robertson and another rule for Andy Ke uh, for okay. Harry Kane. I'll get his name right. But I, there are definitely other managers who I suspect, <laughs> including my best mate Jose Mourinho, who I suspect would have uh, 
been watching the rest of that game from the stands had they done the same thing as Klopp. And it was clear too that mm. when he got the yellow card, he thoroughly enjoyed it. He was, it made it feel like one of the lads, didn't it? I mean, Klopp to me, he he does a lot. I mean, Guardiola gets a lot of credit for his services to passive aggression, but Klopp Oof. does a lot yeah, of totally, that himself. Totally. And also, I, to me, Klopp is one of these guys who when things are going his way, he's brilliant, he's charming, mm. he's funny, he's the cuddly guy with the big white teeth that we all love. The <laughs> moment things don't go against, don't go his way, He's horrible. You know, you see it, the the way he is. Like, you know, and he's an egomaniac. We we can love his politics, think he's a great guy. Um, But that does, you know, that and being an egomaniac who thinks everything should go his way, those things aren't mutually exclusive. He has to create that siege mentality at his club. And the only thing I really care about is whether or not Liverpool fans like him, which is obviously fine. Mm. And I'm I'm sure they probably think he's all right. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) But I I just don't think you can, you know, constantly come out and make out like you've been put upon when you're getting away with stuff like that quite regularly. I suspect it's partially a, a, a residue of his time in Germany when if you're managing the team that's challenging Bayern Munich, the life can seem like a very cold vista indeed, as the as the Bavarians do tend to have a great deal of influence over footballing matters in that country. Well, it's a bit like Arsene Wenger had that kind of inferiority complex because when he was in France, he was with Monaco and they're up against Marseille, who certainly had some uh, <laughs> had some influence over French football in the early 90s. Redacted, let's say. redacted. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, yeah, somebody ended up in an orange jumpsuit over it, didn't they? Let's be honest. <laughs> and finally, let's return not to Celebrity Spurs fans. Let's save that again for another day. But the fact that we discussed on this podcast how Spurs have so many fans in the United States. And I want to thank the listeners and the subscribers to the podcast because so many of our American friends uh, got in touch to explain exactly how they ended up uh, supporting a relatively <clears throat> unsuccessful, if rather magnificent, football club um, at the end of the Seven Sisters Road. And this is a great one. I can't Who is it from? Uh, this is from Joe, who's in response to our podcast last Friday. And it's, it's four or five paragraphs, so let me read it, uh, if, I, if I may, for the next two minutes. He said, I believe it or not, I'm an American who started following Spurs thanks to All or Nothing. I started All or Nothing out of boredom more than anything else, says Joe, and decided I'd watch their 2021 games mostly as a way to gradually introduce myself to the full spectrum of the Premier League. I had no real intention of supporting Spurs as such, but rather intended to use them as a proxy during my first real attempt to follow club football. All or Nothing primed me well for the Jose soap opera. I had no preconceived notions of him prior to watching the documentary. If I was sceptical of All or Nothing's mostly positive portrayal of him, I was equally sceptical of the criticisms I soon encountered online too. As the weeks and months wore on, I became more and more familiar with the squad, to the point where I actually started rooting for them and wanted them to succeed. The football, after their brief sojourn to the top of the table, wasn't always great and was often just plain bad, but I cared a little bit more about the guys with each passing week. Oh, you're a mug, Joe, you're falling for it. This is how it happens. 16 months later, I'm still watching Spurs. Without ever really picking them, they became my team, which I'm sure is exactly what Daniel Levy was hoping for when he invited in the film crews. Interestingly, my 71-year-old father, whose sports fandom is limited to watching every St. Louis Cardinals game, started watching Spurs in early spring, simply out of curiosity about the thing I've been talking about in my phone calls. Now he texts me chicken emojis after a win. Oh God, it's spreading. I know, I know. It's like a virus. It is the Omicron. we infected America. <laughs> Absolutely. But that was, Joe, thank you for that. And, and but so, uh, with such erudition and describing one of those journeys that we've all had mm. uh, to end up uh, supporting the mighty Spurs or in Charlie's uh, case, uh, an entirely inferior brand. Um, it, it, very, very sad, Charlie, because you're such a nice lad. Uh, but, that, but I'm used to that in my life. Listen, thank you both for your views and um, backing up my being slightly perky. I hope West Ham are not going to pop my bubble like uh, that farcical publicity stunt after the by-election when that woman, the the new MP for Shropshire North, had that big pin to pop a bubble with. I hope West Ham aren't going to do that to me during the next few days. If they do, we'll be back on Thursday to lament that occasion. Hopefully, we'll be celebrating Spurs in the semi-final of the Carabao Cup. I won't wish you a happy Christmas yet, all of you, because hopefully you'll join us for that podcast as well. In the meanwhile, thanks for being with us here now on The View from the Lane. The Athletic.